right, welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estates and investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Dan Clarton with the Tannis Group. He's also a wholesaler and an investor, and he does title work with Investor Title Services. Um, thank you for joining us, Dan. We like to just jump into it. So sure. Just... No, all those things you mentioned, I feel like we're deep sea fishing and I got all these different lines in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I mean, hey, a man of many, many um, skills, right? Um, so let's just jump right into it. We're going to take a deep dive. Tell us about the craziest real estate stories or transactions that you've ever faced? Well, um, so I'll give you two. One's a, one's a, uh, had a very good outcome. One kind of disturbing and not so much. So let's start with a good one first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we do a lot of marketing for off market properties. That's, uh, you know, to say I'm a wholesaler is, um, you know, kind of incorrect. The reality is, uh, my business partner, Joe Mueller, and I, uh, we run Reinvest Homes, and we we kind of fancy ourselves that we are in the off-market property acquisition business. Wholesaling is merely one of the exit strategies that we sometimes use. Other times, we hotel a property, we might fix and flip the property, or we might hold it in a rental portfolio. So we do all those things, but it all starts with property acquisition, and we find the deepest and best discounts and the best deals you're ever going to find are not on the MLS. They're direct to seller. So we spend a lot of time in that space. So a few years back, I get a call from somebody. And uh, at that time, we were doing a lot of bandit signs. And I think he saw our sign. He called. He said, uh, <clears throat> hey, um, uh, you know, you buy houses. I said, uh, yeah, actually, we do. I go, did you have a house that you were looking to sell? And he goes, uh, yeah. I go, <laughs> Look at that. We're halfway there. I go, what's, what's the situation? He says, uh, I'm going to lose my house in three days. And I said, three days? I go, like, foreclosure? What, what's going on? He goes, no, back taxes. I go, back taxes? I go, how much money do you own back taxes? He said, 15000 I said, okay. Um, you have a mortgage? Like, what's going on there? He goes, no, because I own the house free and clear. And this this house was literally a mile from our office at the time. And I said, uh, dude, I go, losing a free and clear house is absolutely unacceptable. I'll be right over. So I get over to his house. This is pre-COVID, by the way. And, uh, you know, we start a conversation. I'm like, how, how did we get here? He goes, well, he goes, uh, I work for the Chicago Tribune. I was a press man. He goes, I don't know if you've heard. He goes, but they're not really printing newspapers anymore. I go, yeah, I heard. He goes, so I lived in the city. Uh, I moved out of the city, moved back to this house. Uh, you know, I was using it as a rental. The people moved out. I moved in, and I just really haven't been able to find another job. And, you know, and I go, okay. I go, can I ask you why we're not having this conversation six months ago? He goes, well, because I just figured at some point, friends, family, like somebody might step up and, you know, try to help me through this. I said, yeah, I go, sadly, if you had uh, tickets behind the Cubs duck out or 
you know, 50 yard line tickets for a Bears game. Everybody's available. But when it comes to family and friends and when it comes to money, not so much. He goes, yeah, that's kind of what I found out. I said, okay. I go, well, I mean, you said, what, three days? He goes, yeah, that's the best intel I have. I go, so when you say three days, are you talking like we have today and tomorrow and the day after it's it's all over? Or we have today, tomorrow we have the third day and day four it all goes bad. He goes, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to come back tomorrow with a deed. I'm going to have you sign it. I'm going to take it up to the county. I'm going to record it. I'm going to walk across the hall. I'm going to pay the taxes. Uh, so the good news at that point is you're not going to lose it to taxes. The bad news, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, is you're not going to own the house anymore. I am. So at that point, I figure it's probably going to take you, you know, a couple, three weeks, maybe as long as a month to kind of figure out what you're going to do next in life kind of thing. And uh, so what I'm thinking is on your way out the door, how about I give you $25,000? And he looked, he almost took us, he almost took a step back. He goes, wait a minute. He goes, you're going to give me $25,000? I go, would that be okay? He goes, you know, at the risk of screwing up something that just sounded really good to me, why would you do that? He goes, I'm a couple of days away from, I've already conceded to the fact that I'm getting zip, zero, zilch, and I'm going to lose this house. And you ride in here on a white horse, and you tell me you're going to give me $25,000? He goes, what am I missing? I go, you're not missing anything. I go, listen, I'm going to have, I'm paying the taxes. This house is going to need considerable work that I'm going to have to invest into. And at the end of the day, my end goal, God willing, is to somehow make a profit by being involved with your property. But that doesn't mean I have to leave you dead, bar broken, starving on the way. I go, look, $25,000 is not a lot of money, but it's enough money that you'll be able to find yourself respectable housing that you can go rent for probably the better part of two years while you figure out what, what your next move in life is going to be. And the reason I mentioned it was pre-COVID, because at that point, a grown man in his living room stood there with tears in his eyes and gave me a big hug. And I guess what I would tell you is that that's the feel good about what we do. You know, I often talk to people, I go, we're not in the ambulance chasing business, and we're not looking to find people that have their back against the wall and try to exploit them. We're in the business of helping people. And when we can help people, that's the feel good. And you know, at my age, and it's a long story, you probably can't see it, I got a big scar on my neck here, but I'm a stage four head and neck cancer survivor. And uh, when, when you've been through something like that, you just have a little bit of different outlook on life. And that's why I have kind of an abundance mentality. I try to do anything I can to try to help people. And, uh, you know, and that was a situation where everybody won. You know, certainly we, you know, we made money on the property. But a lot of people would have been gone there and tried to give him $2,500 to rent a U-Haul on his way out the door. And it just doesn't have to be like that. And I guess my experience, what I would encourage people to, you know, think about is, you know, the way the world works, and it's been my experience, is that the window you give through seems to be the window you get through. You know, it's the whole you reap what you sow, but you have to sow first. And if you routinely try to do the right thing, then you'll find opportunities fall in your lap and 
you know, people sometimes go, oh, man, that's so lucky. I can't believe you found that deal. I go, I don't think you understand. I didn't find any deal. It came my way. It's kind of like the law of attraction or whatever. So that's that's how I look at it. So that that's kind of a feel-good story. Recently, we had a story that, frankly, is pretty disturbing. Um, took a call from a seller. Um, my We have a call-and-take person, and I looked at the notes uh, in our CRM, and it was a uh, townhouse down in Naperville. And they were, you know, it was a lady looking for 200 grand. Um, and, you know, I've got, I'm busy, got other things to do. So things that are clearly no deals, I'm not in a big hurry to call them back. Um, but then all of a sudden I noticed that she had called in again and I'd listened to the recording and she's like literally swearing at our call intake person upset because nobody's gotten back to her and nobody gave her an offer for her house. So I reached out to her. I apologized. And ma'am, I go, I'm so sorry. I go, you know, I've been busy. You know, the notes said that you were looking for 200,000. I go, that's really not a number that can work for us for the, you know, the nature of, you know, our, what we do with properties. And she's kind of disturbed still. And she goes, well, what can you do? And I go, wow. I go, okay, well, sounds like you have quite a situation going on. Care to tell me about it? She goes, yes. She goes, I have a friend that I owe $50,000 to. And if I don't get her this money back pretty quick, it's it's going to get ugly. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, the fact that you're willing to go to this length to make something right with a friend, uh, I'm impressed because a lot of people might not. I go, so you got my attention. I said, I'll come see you. So I went down and spent three and a half hours with this woman. And uh, the story goes, when I asked her, so tell me what's going on here with this loan. She goes, well, that's not exactly true, but I didn't really want to get into it on the phone. I go, okay, what is going on? And she gets into the story, and uh, it's really just a chapter out of that um, Tinder Swindler um, show that's on Netflix. And there's some guy that fancies himself as a diamond miner, and She's known him for four years. She's been giving him money already, from what I could tell. And through the conversation, uh, you know, she told me who she, where she does her banking and some other information. And, you know, I basically told her, I go, this, this is a bad deal. I go, I, I frankly don't think I can be involved in this. And then she got even madder. She goes, you advertise that you buy houses and you tell me you're not going to buy my house? I go, I really don't want to. I go, this is a horrible deal. I go, this is a scam. I go, I, I know you don't want to see it that way. I go, this guy is rinsing you for everything. She literally was going to take 50000 and put it in a box and cash and send it to somebody. And, I'm, you know, I mean, I, on a side note, I jokingly tell my wife if, you know, things go bad with us or she dies before me that there's a lot of willing women to do stupid things. I go, I like my chances, even if I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is a horrible thing. And, we, you know, we contacted the FBI. Uh, I talked to her bank manager over there. We talked about it. And finally, I got back to her. I said, listen, I go, you know, you're going to do what you want to do. But there's a couple hoops that I'm going to you're going to jump through before I do this. Number one, you're going to watch the Tinder swindler. And then after you watch it, you're going to get back with me and you're going to tell me that you watched it and that you still want to do this. That's number one. Number two, you're going to, uh, I'm going to call the police department. 
and don't get sweaty. They're not going to scream up to your house with the sirens and lights on, but they are going to come talk to you and they're going to want to make sure that you are of sound mind. It's kind of a wellness check. I go, those things are going to happen before we actually, you know, before we actually do this. And it might've been one of the fastest deals we did. I wrote, you know, I met with her on a Wednesday and the following Tuesday, we were at the title company and she was getting a check and it, it just felt icky all the way through. And I guess the only thing that I kind of conceded is she was that determined to do it. And if she wasn't going to sell it to me, she was going to sell it to the next person that she called. So I might, might as well be me, I guess. It's really disturbing. Uh, when I was wiring the money for that transaction, I talked to uh, my banker and I was, you know, again, when you have a story like this, it's kind of top of top of the recall list when you talk to people. And he said, you know, Dan, he goes, I've only been in banking 12 years. I've seen this happen 30 times. I go, you got to be kidding me. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, one time, he goes, I wasn't quite ready for it. It caught me off guard. He goes, we had, we had the police department in our conference room with one of our, um, you know, uh, customers. And at one point, the cop looked at this woman, flat, point blank. He goes, what are you, stupid? And he goes, my mouth, he goes, I just didn't really expect them to say something like that. He goes, this nonsense happens all the time. It's it's sad. I mean, I don't know. How, the problem is, I don't know how you get in front of it. That's the thing. Because again, when people get so doped into this, they 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 believe everything. At, after the fact, I met the neighbor when we were clearing the place out, and the neighbor is the only other person she confided in about this. And she, the neighbor said she never even met this guy in four years. I mean, it was, it's crazy. The only thing that, the only reason, you know, that I think it, things will be okay is she's retired from the school district. She has like a $7,000 a month pension. So despite the fact that she's rinsed, she'll, she'll be able to survive. So I wish I had a better story than that one. But that's the reality. I mean, again, so the, the, the reality here is that when you work on properties that are listed or even at the auction, there's no personal interaction. And when you're in the off-market space, we're really only half in the real estate business. The other half, truly, we're in the people business. And, you know, we have to have a bedside manner and we have to have empathy, not sympathy. And, you know, the whole conversation, you know, when I go to meet with a seller in the hopes of getting a contract, those meetings typically last two hours because it takes that long to build the right rapport and people do business with people they like and people they trust. And I've been known to buy properties for less money than other people offered because they like me better. It's not always, always about the final dollar. People want to feel good in the process. So we all know whoever said it, but you know, people don't know, care how much you know till they know how much you care. So that's an important thing to remember. You know, I mean, you, you walk into a, a house that's 1,500 square feet, three beds and a bath. I mean, let's face it. It takes five minutes to look at a house like that. And a lot of investors go in, they walk around, they make an insulting offer and they tell them to get lost. And then they can't understand why they're not getting any deals, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with everything around that. The house is really just the widget. Right? And you know, very smart and intuitive you to ask somebody why you went with me, because a lot of times in life, we think they went with us for a certain reason. And when you ask them, they're likely to, going to tell you something that you didn't see coming. 
And that's a learning experience because you start to go, wow, this is the reason people are going with me. I thought it was because of this. And if you know, if you can follow some kind of trend on why people are going with you, then you can kind of exploit that, if you will, and make sure that that's a big part of what you're doing in the future. Um, Well, I'll tell you that um, when you get started in this, you know, in life, most people that have a, quote, job, they're hired and they work in their area of expertise. So if you're an accounting professional, you're handling the books at a company. And if it's a manufacturing company, you're not involved in design. You're not involved in manufacturing. You're not involved in shipping. You're not involved in sales. You're just doing what you do best. When you get into real estate and you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to do your own thing, you know, the old saying, the chain is only as strong as the weakest link. And so when you're working by yourself, the good news is you get the best of you, but your limiting factor is what's the worst of you. And not only that, it can be quite lonely at times because you kind of, a lot of people are trying to do it on their own, figure it out on their own. And I, I would encourage people to maybe stop trying to go it alone. And I talk about the three T's. The three T's are um, time, talent, and treasure. So you have to figure out which of those you have, and more importantly, which of those you need. And you need to find people to fill the gaps. So how my business partner and I got started, I, I hit a dark patch, if you will, because I went to work for a startup company back in 1998. I was a big part of building this company from the sales side. And, um, you know, a couple man, several management changes later, uh, I'm at a, I'm at Gibson's getting a, a steak dinner pushed on my pie hole as they're telling me they're going to phase me out of the company. And that was a really rough patch for me because I was a, a, approaching 50 at the time. I had two girls in college and I had a wife that hadn't worked outside the home in 16 years because she was home raising kids. And that was kind of a dark time for me. The only thing that allowed me to weather that storm is many years ago, uh, a friend uh, that I had worked with and I started an ATM machine business. And because we didn't really need, quote, there's a difference between need and want. We didn't need the, we didn't need the money. We wanted it, but we didn't need it. So the point was we took all the profits and every dollar that came in on that ATM machine and bought a second one. And then the second one turned into five and five turned into 25 and 25 turned into 150. And at the point where I had lost my job, I went to my partners and said, listen, you know, we haven't been taking any money out of this thing. I don't live extravagantly, but I do have some bills to pay. We're going to need to start taking some money out so I can get by here. And really that was the bridge that allowed me to tread water, if you will, while I could try to work on getting something else going for myself. So the lesson in all this for all you people that have jobs and you got your shoulders back and your chest out and you think you're rocking it, like life's never going to get any worse than this, um, get ready because it might. And what I would tell you is why now, if that's your uh, place in life, why now is the right time to get started in real estate or frankly, any other thing for that matter, because the best time to start plan B is while plan A is still paying your bills. So get going with something else, no matter what it is, because if it wasn't for that ATM machine business, I probably would have had to 
get another job. I would I would have been forced to. And thankfully, I wasn't. So then you get started in this real estate thing. And I think a lot of times, you know, at that time, I didn't have much money. Um, so I was working in the off-market space because I heard about wholesaling, like you can make money doing this. And so, you know, I start down this trail. And frankly, it took me nine, ten, the better part, let's call it the better part of a year to actually do my first deal. And, you know, you don't have to be a, you know, electrical engineer or some highly technical kind of background to understand the principles of wholesaling. Find a property, get a contract, assign it or double close it to a cash buyer and get it closed and get paid. It, it, it's a simple process. That said, that doesn't mean it's easy because there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things have to go right. And despite the marketing and all the things you do, I really think there's three pillars that are critical if you're going to make a run in this arena of real estate. Number one, you have to get really good at knowing what the after repair value of a house is, not the fantasy island one. What's the real one? That's number one. Number two, what's going to be the cost of repairs? How much is it going to cost to take a property from the place it is now to the place it's going to need to be for sell it to sell it at that price that you determined it can sell for? And then the third thing is you have to be good with people because this is a people business, as we already said. And people do business with people they like and people they trust. And it, it takes a little while to kind of, I mean, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, I'm a career salesman. And the first time I went to go look at a house, I had no idea. What am I doing? Like, you can't see my hands. I don't do any work. I'm not a construction guy. I don't fix anything. I don't do anything. And I'm looking around a house like, what am I even looking at? Like, what does the conversation look like? And how do I position my insulting offer? And, it, it, and I guess what I would tell you is it would take time. And if you don't, you know, so, uh, you know, I've been married 35 years. And uh, believe me, I wanted to, I wanted to quit over that, those nine months, even in the first year, two years, over and over again. And you need somebody in your life, if you don't have one, that believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. And my wife would say, you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. I go, uh, I don't know where you come from. To me, doing great means working hard. And then there's a financial reward at the end of it. I go, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm not seeing the financial reward. I go, I'm getting frustrated. She goes, not only do I love you, I know what you're capable of, and I believe in you. So don't we'll be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. And a lot of people wouldn't have that luxury. Their spouse would be, you know, in their grill telling you, you got to get a job. We got bills to pay. We got kids in college. And my wife was totally calm, totally cool, totally collected through that whole thing. And she supported me and encouraged me, more importantly, every step of the way. So that was huge and, and during that time. So when we talked about, you know, the three T's and knowing what you have to offer and what you don't, frankly, that's kind of how uh, my you know, business relationship with my now partner, Joe, uh, started out because I had you know, met him at a, a meetup kind of thing. And we got talking the week later and, you know, I went over to his office for a while and we talked about it. And he goes, uh, you know, I've heard your name. I know you're doing a few deals. Uh, what's standing in the way of you blowing this thing up? And again, it's humbling. But I said, well, uh, not real proud to have to say this at my age, but 
the reality is I'm trying to work the off-market space and it takes money to make the phone ring. And so I have limited money, which is creating limited opportunities. You know, I, I, he goes, well, you know, what are you doing? I go, this is going to sound ridiculous to you. I go, like, I buy 200 bandit signs and I, I ration them. <laughs> he goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, I mean, the villages pick them up. So if I go out and put out, you know, 100 this week and 100 next week, uh, likelihood is within a couple of weeks, they're going to get picked up and I might not have a deal and I might not have any signs. And then what? So this sounds really, I put out 20 and then I wait a couple of weeks. I put out 20 more. Like, it sounds dumb, but I'm, I'm trying to make them last. <laughs> he laughs. He goes, all right. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I go, I don't know, 50, 75, 100 a week. He goes, we can do that. He goes, what else are you doing? I go, I'm doing some direct mail. He goes, tell me about that. I go, well, you know, I mail two, three, sometimes 500 letters in a month. He goes, okay. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I go, I don't know, three, four, five thousand 5,000 letters a month. He goes, we can do that. And so we started doing some stuff together. And I said, listen, if you want to spend some money, uh, you know, I've got some skills. I'll make us money. And that's kind of how we started. And we went along that way for, I don't know, a couple of th at least a couple of three years. And then we made an LLC and we formalized kind of what we're doing and we never look back. It's kind of like, it's kind of like dating. You know, you get together, you start doing some things, you see if you kind of have a similar mindset, if you have some similar goals, if you have um, some similar values, um, you know, things of that nature. I think that's important. And, and more importantly, if you have some, you know, a good working relationship. And again, uh, you know, a football team doesn't need three quarterbacks. They need a quarterback, a running back, and a wide receiver. And so, you know, a mistake is to try to find a business partner or somebody that's just like you. You don't need anybody just like you. You need somebody that's not like you. So, I, you know, I kind of fancy myself as a people person and a front man. And, you know. You know, I spoke at a real estate meeting last night. I do a lot of that kind of stuff. We're here today. I love doing this. And Joe is very good at structure and systems and organization. And I'm all over the road like a you know, disaster. But that's why together we do good things. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, people are working in their area of expertise at work. And... You need to fill in, you need to, there's going to be some gaps. You need to fill them in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Finding that counterbalance is, is always key, right? You know, you're looking for somebody that has an opposite skill set to yours. If you're looking for a partnership relationship, because then you, you know, you, you know, you balance the weight essentially based on your skill sets. Um, you know, the other thing that I, you know, I, I come to realize a lot of times is, you know, being in real estate, that's like saying you're in the car. Hey, I'm in the car business. What does that exactly mean? You own a Ford dealership. You own a car stereo and window tinting joint. You have a transmission repair thing. You work for a manufacturer that makes plastic components and dashboards. Like that's all in the car business, but they're all very different businesses. And a lot of times if you go to a, like a RIA meeting or something like that, you'll meet new people and you go, Hey, you're at a real estate meeting. You know, what do you got going? They go, well, you know, we can do some wholesaling, you know, some flips and some uh, rental properties. And usually I smile and go, that rhymes with you're not doing anything. And they giggle and they go, well, you know, <laughs> I'm just getting started. But the reality is any one of those verticals is a business within itself. So I would tell people, instead of trying to do everything, I mean, even 
if you're going to do off market, you can do marketing. Don't do all the marketing. Pick one channel and stay with it. And so the visual I like to give on that, if you've ever been you know, to the circus or when you're a kid or whatever, seems like sooner or later there's a two by four on the floor with a bunch of white poles, you know, this far apart from each other. And there's a stack of plates. And you see those 10 sticks and there's no possible way like that you're going to have 10 plates spinning. So what do they do? They pick up one plate on one stick and they start spinning it. And they get it going so fast that they can actually take their hands off of it and it continues to spin. And that's when they reach for the second and maybe the third plate. And then once they're going, they just need a little touch now and then. And pretty soon they work their way down and they have all 10 plates spinning. So I would tell people, don't don't be thinking you're going to be wholesaling and, and flipping and holding rental properties and doing all this stuff. Pick one thing, get that plate spinning, get it consistent, get it generating income for yourself. And then you can move on and start expanding into some other things. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, shiny object syndrome for entrepreneurs in general is always a challenge. I think in the real estate field in particular, because there are so many avenues to generate so profit. Yeah, and each one sounds easier than the next. So when of I was course. failing at wholesaling, then all of a sudden I get on some webinar and they're talking about lease options. Hey, what in, instead of trying to buy houses for 50 cents on the dollar, what if you could offer full price? No, yeah. That sounds good. And then you realize that's not any easier than the other thing, right? Because they all have their, they all have their wrinkles, right? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I love the analogy with the plates um, because that is certainly the wisest way to do business. I've, I've been the type of person in my career to kind of take on too many activities at once. And it becomes a major challenge keeping all those plates spinning. It is certainly no possible with the right skill set, but I mean, it is so hard um, I used this analogy, which is kind of similar um, when I'm talking with newer agents, because the way I structured my career at the beginning is like eventually I ended up in a place where I threw 20 balls up in the air every day and I needed to catch every single one of those <laughs> balls every single day before the day was up. And it is just an extreme out. level of stress. Um, well, I mean, I stopped throwing 20 balls up. I'm only throwing up five or six now. I'm Good. still probably doing more than I should, but I mean, it's not as much as it used to be. But I mean, I, I understand that is, is a very, very common challenge in this industry. Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned that, like, what tip, tool, or strategy do you think has had the most impact on your success? Um. I mean, probably a little of everything. I guess. I mean, I guess when I, if you want to talk about what's what's going to create success, I would. I, I don't think it's really any tool or any strategy or any anything. I think it's more mindset related. Oftentimes, I like to refer to the mapping app on your telephone. We all have it, and if you open your phone right now and go to the map, uh, there it is. And I don't know about y'all, but I certainly don't need a blue dot to tell me where I am. I already know where I am. So the only value that that app actually has is you have to put in a destination. And once you put the destination in, it's going to give you two or three different ways to get there. But if you don't know where you want to go, how can you be led to get there? So I would say, you know, start with, you know, what's the other thing? Start with the end in mind. And then more importantly, um, 
I think one of the things that's challenging for people that want to get into real estate is whether you're an investor or a broker. Of course, I don't know everybody, but I don't know anybody that, you know, someone that's an accountant might be an accountant for many years and all of a sudden they're going to change jobs and they go from this company over to this company and do a lot of the same thing. Because of the way real estate works uh, on the investment side or on the agent side, I don't really know anybody that has a solid income, professional career type job. And they go, you know, I'm an electrical engineer, but I'm going to quit because now I'm going to be a realtor. <laughs> They'd starve. So the whole real estate game always starts as a side hustle. And a lot of people are interested in it, of course. And they like the idea of what freedom it can create for them, time and other things. But Earlier, we talked about want and need again, and they want those things, but they don't necessarily need those things because we all at some point have a life and we have a house and we have a car and we have some things we do and places we go. And there's going to have to be a sacrifice that's going to be need to be made. You know, maybe you're a big football fan. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, we're in Chicago, maybe, you're, you know, you're a Bears fan for some reason. Okay, so maybe you watch the Bears game on Sunday. Maybe you need to stop watching the Thursday night game, the college games all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and on Monday night. Because you're going to have to give something. You know, no, one, no one that I know is sitting around doing absolutely nothing. So we're all busy. So you're going to have to decide what things are you doing now that you're willing to stop doing to create the time to pursue the things that you say you want. And so... You know, I often talk about how, um, you know, when you're doing this kind of thing, it's, I mean, think about breakfast. It's kind of the difference between the chicken and the pig. The chicken's interested. They don't lay an egg and go on with their life. The pig's committed. The pig dies for your breakfast. That pig don't die. There's no bacon and sausage or ham, right? So I guess when people tell me they're interested in real estate, I go, yeah, that's great. Are you interested or are you committed? Because there's a big difference. And if you're interested, it's probably not going to go very well. Because let's face it, anything worth pursuing is going to take your best efforts. You're going to be stretched. You're going to have to learn new things, new skills. And unless you're committed to something, you're probably, it's going to be hard to find your way to the, to the end zone. You know, it's kind of funny when you talk to newer people, you can almost kind of determine in a short conversation whether they're going to possibly succeed in real estate or not. And the way I determine that is I ask them a few questions about what are they doing now? Because anybody that has succeeded on any level in really anything in life, they understand the principles of success and they know what it's going to take. They've hit brick walls and they've figured out how to get through it, around it, under it, over it, whatever, to get to the other side. And once you understand those principles of success, I think largely you can be successful in almost anything you choose to be successful in. You just have to point yourself in that direction and get focused on it. But I think a lot of people, you know, they want, you know, they expect everything to be easy. And as soon as they're, they're met with some, you know, adversity or pushback, that's when they fold like a cheap lawn chair. So, you know, I think, you know, I think having some goals and being committed to them is more important than any strategy, any 
you know, avenue that you choose in real estate, because if you don't have those things, the other things will never matter anyways. 100%. I'm going to dial this back a little bit because I loved, loved, loved your football analogy. It kind of brings up something that um, another one of my mentors has said to me. Um, basically, like if you're watching somebody else accomplish their lifelong dreams every Saturday, every Sunday, every Thursday, and you're not doing anything to accomplish your own, it's like, so what are you doing with your life? I mean, you're literally <laughs> watching other people accomplish their dreams and your dreams are just sitting on the table waiting for you to even put an effort into it. Right. right. So um, that has always um, really resonated really strong with me. As soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, I'm, sure. done, with, I'm done with sports a little bit. I mean, I still I dabble, um, but I used to be, you know, football all day Sunday. That's it. That was it. I'm a Sunday football guy. And yeah. like, as soon as I realized I was literally watching other people accomplish my dreams while I'm sitting on the couch, it really changed my mindset. Um, just brilliant stuff. I love the analogy too, because you, you specifically mentioned getting to the end zone at the end too. I really love that. Um, I'd like to kind of pivot a little bit because I know you're doing a lot of interesting stuff on the title side and you can save a lot of our listeners a ton of money. Um, so I'd love to get into what you're doing on the title side because, you know, um, we're in a high volume business if you're really doing well. And when mm -hmm. you're doing high volume, even if you're only saving a thousand to twelve hundred bucks a deal, that really adds up quickly. So can you go into details about that? So um, when I talk about this, probably the next thing I should be doing is being on eBay searching for 1979 Cadillac Eldorado, like De Niro drove in casino, because that's the car that has the steel plate under the front seat uh -huh. <laughs> when they blow up my car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reality is, you know, there's there's a thing going on in our local market that doesn't happen in many other markets. Um, I mean, we're 90 miles up the road from Chicago to Rockford. And if you go to Rockford and you buy a property and uh, let's say it's going to be off nature, uh, off market in nature, and your offer includes that you're going to, quote, pay all the closing costs. People that live in and around Chicago and have never done business in other places, they're accustomed to closing costs being three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. That's just, it is what it is, right? Um, you might not know that if you go to Rockford and you buy a $150,000 house and you pay, quote, all the closing costs, it's going to be about $1,200. That's it. So I guess fundamentally, one of the challenges I have with how it all works in our market is that as you're licensed realtor, at the point you're at a 4th of July barbecue and someone starts talking about a house or maybe thinking about selling or whatever, and you get in a little conversation, at what point of that conversation are you um, bound to disclose the fact that you're a realtor to them before you get too far down the road about anything about their house. Well, I mean, as soon as possible, really. As soon as possible, right away, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you're getting into details about real estate, you should be disclosing that you're a realtor. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so my challenge with this is that around here, you know, everything gets closed with and through attorneys. So you're my realtor and uh, we list and sell my house and you say, oh, here's here's a couple of different attorneys that 
you worked with a lot of the sellers I've represented, and you hand me a couple business cards or a couple phone numbers. And I call and I say, hey, I go, Tim, you know, Tim gave me your number and uh, said you could handle my closing. Hey, just curious, um, how much is that going to cost? And you're going to get a number routinely somewhere between five and fifteen hundred dollars. And you go, so I say they go seven hundred dollars. You go, OK, sounds good. Well, at the point that you've hired somebody to work in your best interest, there's not any real good reasons to ask a whole lot of pointed questions, particularly in an arena that you don't know too much about. So then you get to the closing table and there's a stack of paper two inches thick and they hand you a pen and then they start passing paper. And they go, sign here, this is an affidavit. Sign here, this is a disclosure. Sign here, this is the deed. Sign here, this is uh, the master's statement. Sign here, this is a this. Sign here, this is a that. And through the course of that big stack of paper, somewhere in the middle is sign here, this just says I'm an agent for the title company. And you sign it just right to the next one. So they are disclosing that they're an agent of the title company. But... Nobody thinks to ask about it. Or, well, well, wait a minute. What, what exactly does this mean? And even though it's all in black and white, if you pull out a master statement on a property that you've bought or sold for that matter, and you start reviewing all the line items, there will be um, next to the charge, it tells you who gets the money. And when you get down to the owner's policy, title insurance, in our market on a property zero to $200,000, that's typically about $1,800. And, and then as the price of the house goes up, the title insurance goes up with it. And you'll see on the line next to that who, who gets the money. And the reality is the attorney gets a, a whole bunch of that. Like, yeah. yeah, not a little. Like, we're talking like 80%. And then, and then there's more money to be made if there's a, a, you know, a, a lender's policy so the typical attorney that charges you five or seven hundred dollars for a closing is literally walking out the door of a closing with on average between twenty eight and thirty three hundred dollars for their efforts. And again, I don't begrudge them for that. That's how they make a living. I think that's great. I think it's a little underhanded that it's not really told to you up front. It's kind of a little you you know if you don't know how it works, you don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. And again, I say that to say for people that are buying or selling two or three family houses in our market or the over the course of a lifetime, none of this matters. It just doesn't. It just it is what it is. But yet investors will stand in the driveway of a house kicking dirt for 20 minutes if they think they can get the house for $500 less. Mm-hmm. Yet they show up to a closing and they just blindly sign and pay what anybody puts in front of them without even thinking that maybe maybe it could be a different way. And the truth is, it can be a different way. So it took quite a doing, but we've established, I mean, we can't be the only one, but there can't be many. We are non-attorney title agents. So, I'm intrigued. Keep going. So, so what does that mean? <laughs> well, in order to do that, there was a lot of hoops we had to jump through. We had to be licensed by the state. We had to have brick and mortar. We have to have signage. We had to find an underwriter that would be willing to work with us. Frankly, we were closing a lot of deals early on at Chicago Title, and we talked to them about our vision and what we thought we could do or wanted to do, and they weren't having it. 
because they they just didn't really want to upset the apple cart and risk upsetting attorneys uh, as a result of supporting what it is we're doing. Um, you know, for you gamblers out there um, that ever play craps, you know, there's always that one guy at the end of the table playing the don't come line and everyone's giving him the stink eye. Well, in this arena, that's us. <laughs> we're that guy. Uh, and so the way it works is that we work with a lot of investors and wholesalers in particular because we are wholesalers. So we know the business, we know the end game, and we know how to facilitate these deals and get them closed. So we work with both contract assignments. We work with double closes. Um, you know, you can call some local title companies and ask them if they do double closes and they'll tell you no. You can call some that say they do and you ask them, can I possibly use the end buyer's money? to close the A to B transaction, and they're going to tell you no. And as we all know, life's a little mathematical equation of what you know and who you know. And if you don't kind of know what that means, maybe watch Goodfellas again here on the, <laughs> on the, on the, on the recent passing of Ray Liotta. But, you know, at that point where they go to that club and there's a, a, a mile, a block long of a line for people to get in, and they go right through the line, downstairs through the kitchen and come out and get a table put right in front of the band. That's not, has nothing to do with what, you know, that's everything about who, you know, right. And that's how life is. So um, we're able to facilitate those kind of deals and that the, all that money that goes for title, we essentially, because now we're the title agent. So that what you and I would call a kickback, but it's officially an agency fee. So that agency fee actually comes to us. So what do we do with it? We, 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 you know, keep a little beer in the refrigerator, but we discount title by 50%. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, we try to get rid of some of the little junk fees, the puff and cuff, they call it, that don't really need to be there. It's just profit center for people. And we try to, you know, tighten that up for people. And again, three houses in a lifetime, who cares? But what if you're a flipper? And you're sell, you know, on, on the sell side, you're paying for the title insurance and things. And if you flip five houses, five years in a row, that's 25 houses you've sold. You're likely spending 25 to 27 thousand dollars more than you actually needed to. So I think we all live in a place and time where we understand we get what we pay for, and it's why when you go to Morton's or Gibson's or you know, any of the good steakhouses and you buy a $75 marbled ribeye, it's expensive. Let's face it, that's not cheap, but it's going to be awful good. And it's certainly going to be way better than whatever they throw on your plate for 25 bucks at Texas Roadhouse or Outback. But that's a decision we make. We're willing to pay more when we think we're getting more. And with all this close stuff, people are paying more. They're not getting more. The idea of selling a house is, number one, I want to get as much for it as I can, top line, and then I want to have the least amount of expenses in pursuit of getting my money. And so we've been able to save people by our loose count since we started this thing in 2017, about $450,000. It's adding up. So... So we're primarily investor focused. You know, we worked, we do some retail things with people and friends, family, or people to know what we do, but there just isn't any reason to pay any more than you have to, to get a property sold, I guess is what I would tell you. We are, think of us as a, as a sales arm. We're, we're a funnel. 
So investors come to us. We're not doing any title work. We're not clearing title. We're not doing any of those things. We have a couple of attorneys that work alongside of our operation that understand we do. They're willing to play ball with what we do. Uh, they, we have a deal with them when we refer sellers or people to them that they're going to charge $500. That's it. And they handle all the attorney work that would normally happen. And then of that quote kickback that we get, we use again, full transparency. We, we, um, you know, discount title 50% with some of it. And then we give a portion of what we get to the attorneys that handle the business on our behalf. So they're, they're, they can't survive on $500 a deal for all the work they do. So we make sure they get a little more than that. But again, what they get with us is volume because no different for an attorney maybe than when you're a new new broker, you studied, you got your test, you got your license, you hang your shingle, they call it at whatever realtor office. And then you sit there and you go, how do I get any business? And it's really not that different for attorneys. Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a real estate attorney. Now I sit there and I go, well, how do I get people to call me and use me to do their closings? So they spend time, you know, trying to schmooze with realtors and encourage people to bring deals to them, et cetera. And, you know, this is really no different. So we have a couple, you know, we're not working with attorneys that are in big firms with 20 people staff. They're smaller operations, kind of one man band in some cases, and they handle it all. And, you know, we represent a pretty significant portion of their business because we're closing 100, 150 deals a year. Currently, we're currently we're running all of our business through Old Republic title. But, you know, in our market, there, there's all sorts of title companies. They all provide title insurance and, you know, they, they all do good. We like Old Republic. We like their people there. They're easy to work with. They're responsive to our needs. And I think I, I think the value proposition we bring to the underwriter title companies that we work with is that when they get our business, they get our business, you know, with attorneys, they, they try to spread it out. Oh, we got to do a couple of deals over here. I haven't closed over here in a while. Uh, the, the rep dropped off donuts a couple of weeks ago. I'll close over here at this next one. And when they get us, they get all our business. So because they get all of our business, instead of being a nobody with 10 different title companies, we're actually fairly important to the one that we use. So a, lot, a term that I throw around a lot is, what's the so that? Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing this, so that what? Um, you know, we can always, I can always tell when I, I, we're talking to somebody new that just listened to a webinar or is in some new coaching program somewhere because they call and they go, uh, hi, I'm an investor, and I'm wondering if you're investor-friendly. They go, sometimes depending on what kind of snarky mood I'm in, they go, I don't know. I mean, it's called investor title company. So if you were a betting man, would you <laughs> think we're investor friendly or maybe not so much? And, 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 you know, and so, we, but the nice thing about it is, you know, we do uh, find a lot of newer investors that find us because of that, which is why we named the company in the first place. But it allows us to, um, you know, find out about deals. Maybe we can part, like we had a situation not so long ago. Somebody called. And they said, hey, I got a deal. We go, great. What are you looking to do with it? Uh, well, I think I'm going to wholesale it. Terrific. I said, how much How much do you think you can make on this deal? Eh, I think I can make 10000 You go, okay. So it sounds like it's going to be, well, how much are you buying it for? Uh, 87000 Okay, so 10000 Not sure the conversation you have with a seller, but sounds like that can probably be an assignment of contract versus a double close. They go, 
Yeah, I think so. I said, okay. I go send over the contract. They sent it over. I looked up the property. I called back. You got some pictures? Well, yeah, of course. Send them over. I will get the pictures. I called them back. I said, hey, listen, um, you think you can make 10000 on this? He goes, mm-hmm. I, I think so. I mean, I think so. I go, okay. I go, let me ask you a question. If there was a way you might be able to make fifteen or 20000 would you want to know about it? He goes, uh, of course I'd want to know about it. I go, well, let me ask you a qualifying question. I go, do you have $87,000? He says, no. I go, you're in luck. We do. Mm-hmm. I go, what if we partner together? And what if we actually just buy the property? We'll close it. Uh, we'll send our crew over. We'll get all the remaining garbage and junk and anything left behind, cleared out of the house. We'll turn around and list it. And I think when it's all said and done, your end will be closer to fifteen, maybe maybe $20,000. So I guess maybe the question is, are you looking for the fast nickel or, or can you wait for the slow dime? He goes, I can wait for the slow dime. So it's, you know, it took a little longer, but a house we bought for 87000 we sold for one fifty. So there's, there's an investor that made double what their expectation was. They're thrilled. We cleared money on a deal we never would have known about had this person not called us because we have the title thing going. How much money are you making doing title? I don't know. We make, you know, we make money, but it's what's the opportunities that come our way because of it. That's, that's the bigger equation in a lot of cases. You know, and a lot, again, with a lot of these newer wholesalers, we have a pretty robust buyer's list. So if it is going to be an assignment or a double close and they don't have a buyer, hey, maybe we do. So, you know, we can, we can, you know, get together with them. And, you know, uh, you know, a quick story, you know, you're talking about, you know, the attorney aspect. So years ago when I was relatively new, uh, my mother-in-law calls me. She lives in Arlington Heights, Chicago suburb for you non-local people. And she goes, hey, you might want to come over here. I go, yeah, what's going on? She goes, well, we moved here in 1974. And across the street and one over, those people were here when we got here. The wife died at least 25 years ago, and I think the old man finally passed because I see the boys over there, and it looks like they're carrying some boxes out and things of that nature. And, you know, I felt like Kojak in the old days. I threw the the siren, the the light up on top of my roof, and I went screaming over there. And I went and made nice with the boys. We talked for a while and, uh, you know, good stuff. And so they said they're going to sell the house. We decided on a price. I was relatively new. I had a fairly simple contract at the time, not as simple as the one we have now. And they said, uh, you know, hey, you know, we'd like to you know, run this by your attorney. I'm like, sure, of course. Yeah, no problem. And then uh, and then I was having a hard time getting hold of these guys. You want to take a guess how the movie ended? The attorney bought the house. Oh, wow. He's like, wait a minute, you're going to sell this house for 200000 He goes, for that kind of money, I'll buy it. And so he gave him two eleven. I mean, I'm like, you know, that's where the old joke is. You know, you have when you have 5,000 attorneys at the bottom of the ocean, a good start. <laughs> because it's, it's, it just seems wrong on so many levels for an attorney to do that. But the only thing I live with is, uh, at least they, you know, moved in. 
I saw recently they sold the house for like 440. I'm like, mm-hmm. But you know, you can't you can't get all wound around the axle. That stuff's gonna happen, and you just you just have to you just have to move on, water off your back, and just move past it and go find another opportunity. Totally. And then what would, what would be the best way people can connect with you if they wanted to get a hold of you either for title services or for other things? Sure. Uh, well, you know, my name is Dan Clarton, C-L-A-R-T-O-N. My cell phone number is 847-910-0454. And despite the long list of email addresses I have, the best and simplest one is simply my name at Gmail. I'm trusting we're far enough down the road of the internet now. I don't have to tell you that it's gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan Clarton, this has been an absolute pleasure. What an abundance of knowledge and what a massive treasure trove of information that you've shared with us. Um, so we want to sincerely thank you for coming on yeah. the show. And giving it was, us a, it was a pleasure to do. I'm happy to do it anytime. If there's any little wrinkle of anything we talked about that you want to take a little deeper dive into, I'm always available for stuff like that. And I applaud and appreciate the time and energy that you put into uh, making this program available for up and coming investors and people seeking the freedom that, that we like to uh, pursue as well. I love that because that's exactly what we're looking for on the Freedom Chasers podcast. Um, so to any excuse me and to everyone else out there chasing freedom freedom is acquired one action at a time if you do nothing else just write down one action that you got from today um one of them being reaching out to dan about his title services go do that please because i'm going to um <laughs> and make sure to implement that in the next seven days and please share it with somebody so that they can hold you accountable to it and before you know it you too will be living a life of freedom Thank you for tuning in with us today, and we will catch you on the next one.